Let's open with a word of prayer. We're going to look at uh, being a disciple of Jesus tonight. We're going to take on a new topic. We've looked at communion the last couple of weeks, and tonight we pick up a new topic. So let's pray, and we'll get right into our study. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the warmer weather. Thank you for the rain that will fill our reservoirs and fill our lakes and give us drinking water and supply water to the animals. And just, just thank you for the the... The green grass that's on the horizon, the beautiful trees, the singing birds. This part ain't so fun. Um, the mud and the muck and the the grossness of this season. But we know goodness is coming. And, and metaphorically speaking, Jesus, thank you that right now we're in the toil. We're in the, the in-between of seasons here at South Bay. And uh, it's not the prettiest, but we know that good things are on the horizon. Not because we are good, not because we're doing really great things because you are good and you are full of great things so jesus what we want to be busy doing is just lifting up your name that all men are drawn into you and i'm praying for nothing less than that tonight that you would enable me and empower me to do that 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 as you are lifted up that all of us myself included would look to you be drawn to you and uh be healed and forgiven and and reminded of your great power and as we learn what it means to become a disciple to be like you jesus help us comprehend to understand to retain and to grasp uh, the goodness of who you are we give you the praise today jesus we love you amen all right so as you um are sitting there uh, turn to matthew chapter 25 and uh, as you turn there i'm going to share a couple other verses i've shared these over the last couple weeks they're sort of our running theme uh week in and week out so um if you haven't written them down go ahead uh, but you probably have over the last couple of weeks. So turn to Matthew 25, but I'm going to share with you Matthew 16 and 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In Christianity... Becoming a disciple of Jesus, being like him, um, calls for sacrifice. But it's the only system or the only uh, spiritual practice in which by laying down something, you pick up something greater. Or, or rather, as you lay something down, something greater is being given to you. Um, it's, it's hard to get your mind around. Jesus says, lose your life that you might find your life. It doesn't make sense naturally but according to god's law and his kingdom principles it absolutely does that as we lay down our life we receive the life from jesus that he has died to give us so being a disciple will continuously call on us to lay something down not simply to sacrifice and show people how we gave up so much but it will be an opportunity for us to lay something down and receive from god what he's going to give us now, we do our best to not um, only pursue God for his rewards, um, but we can't neglect that either. Hebrews 11 and 6 says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. So God's a rewarder. He's a, a gift giver, and uh, he loves us very much. He's given us Jesus. We're getting ready to celebrate Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and, and, and Resurrection Sunday over the next uh, 10 days or so. And so we're reminded of these great gifts of God and what he has given to us. And then, you know, we just went through this Holy Spirit series where 
God has given us the Holy Spirit, and there's so much that that comes with Him into our lives. Um, all that to say, God is a giver. But as God has given to us, that leads us to our next um, facet, if you will, of discipleship or being a disciple, and that is being a good steward. Now, being a good steward, if you were to go to the grocery store, you were to go to your work tomorrow, and you say, hey, are you a good steward? If that person's not a Christian, they might not know exactly what you're talking about. It's a very Christian word to talk about stewardship, being a steward or stewarding something well. It, it's some, part of our vocabularies as Christians or as part of the church, but maybe not so much the rest of the world. It's, it's used rarely uh, as opposed to how we use it so frequently. And so we have to understand what, what stewardship is because in the church we, we tend to use a word so often that we lose sight of what the true meaning of it is. And so we want to make sure that we understand what it means when we do say things like steward or stewardship uh, according to what the Bible says. So if you um, have turned to Matthew 25 and 14, uh, we're going to read the story that your heading should say it's the parable of the talents. And so um, a talent is a uh, denomination of money. Okay, so it's like, it's like the parable of the dollars or the parable of the gold or whatever form of payment um, for these people. Culturally speaking, they knew what a talent was. And so we understand it's money, makes it a lot more palatable, a lot more easier to grasp onto. Matthew 25 and 14. It should be the next parable or the one after that. There you go. So verse 14 says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey. I'm going to stop right there. For it will be like a man going on a journey. What is Jesus talking about? What will be like a man going on a journey? Go back a little further like where John was. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Okay? So when Jesus says, for it will be like a man, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. A man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them uh, his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So right off the bat, just to get our minds around what's going on, Jesus is telling a story. You got a man, he owns some land, he needs people to manage it while he's gone. So he has three men. They have different abilities. So he looks at their ability and says, you manage five talents or five bags of gold or, 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 or five uh, denominations of money. You get three, you get one. The manager or, the, or the, the, the owner, I should say, looked at these managers or these stewards, knew their ability. He was invested in them. He didn't just size them up like a con man would. He knew them, okay? And then he went away. The idea is that this, this, this owner couldn't be there. He had to have somebody watching in his stead. Verse, seven, uh, verse 16, rather. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Verse 17. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master verse 22 and he also uh and he also who had the two talents came forward saying master you delivered to me two talents here i have made uh two talents more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master he also uh he also who had received the one talent came forward saying master i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you uh, scattered no seed so i was afraid and i went and hid your talent in the ground here you have uh, here you have what is yours but his master answered him you wicked and slothful servant you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming i should have received what was uh, my own with interest so take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents for to everyone who has uh, who has will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who uh, who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth now that that outside place that description of that outside place used frequently of a place called the valley of gehenna where uh where um it was basically like a big dump that was set on fire and continuously burned um but it, it's inferring it's referencing literally hell being cast away from god for all of eternity so the the owner calls three managers gives them each something according to their ability he's a good talent scout no pun intended he knows that he knew to give one to the one guy he knew that that guy was not going to do anything with it he knew the guy with five would make it into more the guy with two would make it into more but this guy just didn't have the ability um he tells the good the good stewards well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master these who were given to had one agenda and that was to please the one who had entrusted them with so much going back to the gifts that god has given us god has given us so much just by virtue of being born in the country that we were born in we have received more than anybody else on the face of the planet we have more freedom we have more opportunity we have more ability to to do nearly anything that we want to simply because we were born in America we were born in the United States now we have our laws and limitations but but when it comes to um, other countries there is a unbridled freedom in our country that allows us to start businesses and build homes and own land that is just unrivaled throughout the rest of the world God has given to us so much but here's the thing about being given to uh, by God gifts or anything God gives us things and stuff and situations and opportunities and people so that we might steward them well at the end of the day they're not actually ours for these managers these talents they were given they weren't they weren't it wasn't their money they didn't go and spend it 
This was not their fee for being a manager. This was something that was entrusted to them. And it was expected to be returned to the master. And these good stewards had their mind on their master and how they could please him. And so they went and they made more. Now, I'm not, I'm not like these guys where um, you see in business men who will take a small investment, multiply it, and within a couple years they're rich. You know what I'm talking about? You usually see them peddling things on infomercials and that sort of thing. But they take a small invention, they take a small idea, and they just they just run with it, put some hustle into it, and uh, before you know it, they're multimillionaires. That you know, I'm thinking about people uh, who have started things like Apple or Microsoft, men who have uh, men like uh, uh, what's, what's his name. Zuckerberg, the, the owner of Facebook or the CEO of Facebook, started that in his college dorm room, you know, just with an idea for social media, and then it explodes, and now he's a multi-billionaire and trying to buy planes that will fly over Africa and supply Wi-Fi for free, like, like insane in just a short amount of time how rich this man got with just a simple idea. I'm not like that, and maybe you're not like that either. Um, these men seem to have that ability. Okay, so they had a, uh, you know, I always, everybody always finds it funny that the parable of the talents, these men had a talent for making money. However, if that is not your talent, if you're like me, and you're not that, you know, savvy when it comes to money, it doesn't mean that we're not expected to steward what we have been given well. And so everything that we've been entrusted is something that God has given us, and it has a beginning and it has an end that will be called back one day. So what I always do practically in my life, I try to hold everything in an open hand. God gives to me, and I don't hold on to it so tightly that when he does call it back or take it back or, or, or cause me to give it to somebody else, that I start to fight him on it. You know, I hold on to it tightly. No, I can't. This is mine. My money, my time, my effort, my talent. Um, I open, you know, open hand. God, you've given me time. Help me to use it wisely. So our first understanding when it comes to stewardship is that what we have, whether it's, whether it's something as simple as the notebook in front of me, whether it's the family you've been given, the job that you have, the finances you have, um, they are something that have been passed from God's hands into yours, and they will pass out of your hand one day. They Honestly, they don't belong to you. They belong to God, but we have been given the privilege to manage them. And so... Some of the things we're going to look at over the next few weeks um, that we have been given the ability to, uh, or the privilege, I should say, to manage are, are this, life. We have been given the privilege of being alive. And there are plenty of folks who just today, their lives have ended, either prematurely, long lives, natural death, unnatural death. Their, li their lives have ended. Ours are still going. We are alive. Our, our lungs are still taking in air. Our hearts are still beating. We're relatively healthy. Um, we have been given a wonderful, wonderful life. Our spouses, husbands or wives, either or, we have been given a gift through this person. They don't belong to us, but God has joined us to them, and it's a great honor and privilege, and we are expected to steward them. Children. Children, um, I believe that the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. But um, 
nice song, right? But honestly, children, when you read the Bible, the Bible speaks very highly of children and how they are to be trained up and how we are to be invested in them and how it is our responsibilities as moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and as a church family, we are to be devoted to them. You know, had somebody recently asked me about uh, dedicating a child, and I told them, well, you know, yeah, we do that, um, but honestly, it's a dedication of the church, and it's a dedication of the family, it's a dedication of the parents. The kid has no say in the, you know, the thing. They're not going to say anything, but I'm going to charge you as the parents. Are you going to dedicate yourself to the child? Are you going to rear them because you've been given the privilege? And then immediate family, are you guys going to help the parents? Are you going to lift them up? Are you going to support them? You're going to be fighting them tooth and nail every, you know, with all your opinions. And then us as the church, are we going to help this family raise this child? That doesn't mean we have a say in what they choose to do. It means that we support them and love them. And if they make a bad choice, we either help them recuperate or we offer them some advice. You know, I, I kind of seen that happen before. Can I just talk with you for just a moment? Do what you want, but you know, this is what I've seen go down. Ultimately, it's your choice, your child. But let me help you. Are we going so baby dedications all come from stewardship and whether or not we as a church are gonna are gonna help this family with this child? Money. That's a big one. Nobody's gonna show up to that one, so I'm not gonna tell anybody when that one's happening. Money. Money is dealt with more by Jesus than almost any other subject in the gospels. Everything always comes back to money. Here we are talking about the talents. Dealing with money, the issue is not – money is the secondary issue in this. It's the, the practice and the principle that's primary, um, but it involves money. Nothing is more abused than money. Jesus says you can't serve uh, God and the love of money or, or mammon. And so money is a big issue from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Money is, is something that we have to learn how to steward. And, uh, and just as a sort of a side note – the opposite of, of stewarding sometime, some things is sometimes idol worship. And an idol worship, whether it's money or a spouse or life or children, um, is always a way to abuse a gift rather than uh, receive it and use it as God has um, intended. Uh, stuff, just possessions. I love stuff. We had the, the health and wellness fair in Canastota last week uh, on Thursday. And one of the things I love about these types of events is something called SWAG. It's an acronym for stuff we all get. You go around to everybody's booth, you get pens and pencils and notepads and stickers and flashlights and little little squeezy cows, stress cows that you can squeeze. And uh, you learn about products and you get flyers. I went to one particular booth and the lady filled my bag with pens. I will never need another pen the rest of my life. She literally gave me something like 40 pens. And then the, in the booth next to South Bay Chapel's booth, there was a guy, and then he was closing up, and I said, hey, can I get one of your pens? He was like, sure, and he gave me 10. I, sure, I need more pens. <laughs> and so, and then we had ordered some for the church, and the company we ordered through – uh, it was back ordered. They sold out, so they're not coming until in a, a week or so. But we ordered something like 700 pens to have for the church and to give out because nothing travels like a pen. I mean, it's a great advertising tool. Um, but then I'm gonna have I'm gonna have one of those pens. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I'm, these other 50 or 60 pens I have are gonna be my second pen compared to my South Bay Chapel pen. 
I love stuff. But if I worship stuff, I'm not properly stewarding the stuff that God has given me. And sometimes God just gives us good stuff. You ever just find something on the side of the road? Somebody else is thrown away and you're like, what in the – you really are throwing this away? You're like, you, like you almost want to make sure it's okay. Obviously, it's next to their garbage, but can I, you know, not, are you really throwing that you know, whatever away? Yeah, I don't want – you mind if I take it? Like I could use that. Like I need one. I was just looking to buy one of those and now you've got one. Sure. Or you go to a garage sale and you buy something that's like hundreds of dollars and these people don't even know what they have. And they're like, well, just give me 10 cents. Sure, you take five? Like you start bargaining with them? Stuff is good, but if I worship stuff, I'm not stewarding it well. It's become my idol, and, and it's going to hurt when, when that thing gets taken from my closed, clenched hand. Stuff is good. God gives us stuff. I'm not, you know, it's not about giving up uh, or giving up on stuff ever being received, but it's about not worshiping stuff. And as a culture, we kind of worship stuff, don't we? I mean, the more stuff you have, the more rich you are, the more status you have, the more friends you get. Um, stuff, I mean, we just go around buying more and more stuff. So we just want to be able to steward the stuff that God gives us. And lastly, and there might be a couple other topics thrown in there, but these are sort of the big six that I um, wanted to point out. The last one is the one we're going to talk about tonight, and that's the gospel. This is the most important one. This is the one we got to get right if we're going to get any of them right. If we are going to steward anything and anything well, it's going to be the gospel message of Jesus. If we will do that first, I believe that all these other ones will fall in line and fall into place. If we will see the gospel message as, as, as the pure gold that it is, then we will not only steward it well, but we'll steward these other things well uh, as well. We'll steward them good as well. There's my English that I'm not stewarding. So we're going to talk about the Gospels tonight. So 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. Turn there. God has given us the Gospel message. Okay, That Jesus um, is God. He comes to earth, lives a sinless life, dies for sinners, conquers death goes to be with his father, sends the Holy Spirit, that he will return one day and rule and reign uh, for all of eternity, and uh, we will be with him, and he will be our God, and we will be his people. That's sort of a boiling down of the, of the gospel message. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So you might ask yourself, why would God entrust us? Because because the, the most of us are like this is like the, the the manager with the one talent. We're so afraid with what we to to mess up what we have. We're we're too afraid to go out and do something with it. Um. So we just kind of bury what we have and hold on to it and hide it rather than going and using it as the manager intends or as the owner intends. But why would God entrust us with something so amazing? I mean, think about the gospel message and how it has altered the planet for so many thousands of years. This is not a simple message. People lose their life over this message. People uh, are exiled for this message. John, who wrote the book of Revelation and the gospel of John and, and first and second and third John, he was exiled to the island of Patmos because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. 
So they decided, hey, we'll put him on an island all by himself where there's nobody to convert or preach to. And then God speaks to him and he receives the book of Revelation. So, you know, people who want to stop God, take that. Um, so Paul says that it's God's intention and plan to take this, this treasure, this gospel message, and put it into clay jars. That's us. That it's by design that God would take something so precious and put it into the hands of something so common. Us. So we can question why he's done that. I would say not such a good idea. You know, if you if you give a, a glass to a child and they drop it, you don't blame the child, right? You blame the parent. If God gives us this great message, he's got to know who we are, right? But Paul says that he does it on purpose so that when, when the gospel message is received by somebody else, the clay pot is not worshipped. The God who gave the message is. You see, if we were super slick and had all the right answers and we were uh, really good at public speaking and we had uh, a bunch of uh, uh, books in our library. We were just the best at what we did. God would not receive the glory. We would. And Paul says that God intentionally, by plan, by design, takes something so precious and gives it to us who are so fragile so that he receives all the glory. So that people sit back and go, you know what? This guy, I, I don't know how he's pulling this off. There must be something more. The, the surpassing power, the, the power that is beyond human uh, ability must belong to somebody else besides them. So I want to encourage you tonight that you don't have to have everything all together when it comes to preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel. If anything, it works to your advantage when you aren't polished and perfect and good and have all the right answers. When you're just who you are and who God has called you to be and simply just share it as you have it, that God loves me, not because I'm lovable, but because but because he has forgiven me and, and he chooses to make me his child even when I was a, a spiritual orphan. When I was dead, he made me alive. You know, When I was a sinner, he forgave me. That he's revolutionized my life, not because I follow a strict set of rules, but because he has indeed forgiven me. Well, we'll just lay it out like that and trust the Holy Spirit to do all of the work. We find that more people see the gospel as genuine and authentic rather than a sales pitch. Because you can go down, you can go down to all the dealerships in town and find a lot of great salesmen. Uh, I've met very few car salesmen that are bad at what they do. Bad car salesmen starve. They don't. They don't make money. So being a good salesman is not the is not the trick to teaching or preaching the gospel. It's simply just being honest about what God has done for you. I was. Why do we? You know why I love love the song Amazing Grace so much? I mean, it's an awesome song, first of all. But the line, "I was lost, and then I was found." I was blind, but now I see. That's why I love that song. And that's what I try to convey when somebody asks me about Jesus. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was blind, now I see. I was lost, now I'm found. I was, I was an orphan, now I'm a child of the king. I was, I was going to hell, and now I'm going to be with Jesus forever. 
and and I and I don't get it all right. I'm not perfect. I'm not I'm not there yet. I haven't like Paul says I haven't yet attained that. But man, that's the path I'm on. And, and I might just I might just move an inch at a time. But I know that after a lifetime I will be closer to Jesus than I was at that first step. So how do we how do we steward well this gospel message? I mean, if you've ever carried something precious that that was highly um breakable or, or fragile i don't want to call the gospel fragile but but when you have to carry something maybe let's go with a newborn have you ever had to carry a newborn you know once you have a couple kids it's less scary but the i remember holding my my sister when i was 12 years old my first sister was born when, she, when i was five i don't remember that as much but when i was 12 i remember she was so little and i'm at this awkward stage i'm 12 years old you know i'm Cliche 12-year-old, just clumsy and all that. Precious, tiny, little life and no ability to defend themselves. They just It's all up to me, you know? It's, it's life, its essence. When we do that, we tend to be over-careful. You know, I remember my mom, uh, one of the first times holding my sister, I was on my, I was on my like, back kind of curved with my knees up. And she was resting on my knees, and and she pooped, and it came out her diaper. And my mom was like, "Don't freak out." I'm like, "What do I what do I do? Like, this is a first for me." She picks her up, but I was so I was so afraid. It 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 paralyzed me. I wanna I want to not preach that that's how we handle the gospel. The gospel is like a Tonka truck. It's very strong and durable and tough, and it can it can be dropped by us and still survive. So many men and women in groups and and and, and philosophies have come against the gospel message and fallen short every time. Men like C.S. Lewis, highly intellectual, super smart, have come to to. Uh, disprove the Bible and Jesus only to find themselves converted. The Bible, uh, the gospel message is strong and durable and tough, and it can handle us dropping it. We don't have to be so careful that, oh, say the right word, say the right verse, get it right. No, we simply need to go in and just share and be honest about what God has done with us. But how do we, how do, we do that? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1, we don't have to be so afraid that we will break the gospel. The gospel is stronger than us. The gospel will survive us. Um, and so we go in with that first attitude. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. 
nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Verse 4, Paul says, So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. One of the best ways that we can steward the gospel that we have been entrusted with is to not change it, to not water it down, to not make it more palatable, to not make it cool, to not make it uh, more culturally relevant, but simply proclaim it, to simply say it, to say that Jesus loves you, that God is love, that, that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To simply realize that the only person's opinion about you that matters is the God who created you. Now, there are still going to be moments in time where, well, we fumble with our words and don't know what to say, and i got to say the right thing, and that's okay. But if you're if who you are trying to please is simply God, then we will trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Paul says, we didn't come with flattery. We didn't come in saying, we're apostles and you better listen to us. He said, we could have. We're apostles after all. We we've could have come and, and pulled that card and said, no, you guys are going to listen and get in line because we're apostles. He said, no. We just, we shared the gospel and made our lives available to you. That is tough. We want to do everything but proclaim the truth and live with other people. We want to say nothing and avoid everybody as people, as human nature. God planned it so that you, a jar of clay, would have this great message to simply say, here, look. See this treasure I have? You can have this treasure too. See this, see this that I've been entrusted with? I, I didn't make it. I didn't supply it. I don't sustain it. It's not from me. It's from God. But he's given it to me, and now I give it to you. And at that point, honestly, it's not your responsibility anymore, meaning, meaning they take it or they leave it. They are called of God or they are not. And that might be easier to let go of with a stranger. It'll be harder with family and friends and co-workers that we see on a daily basis but honestly we extend our hands we we invite them into our lives but if they reject it jesus says they have rejected him not us it doesn't make the sting go away but it does it does soften the blow a bit we can go in now the gospel message is strong but look at verse seven but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Big movement nowadays. Breastfeeding moms, you guys familiar with that? Like it's a thing to be able to just do that wherever you want. If you want to if you want to get into a really good argument where like you lose an eyebrow, just tell some mom they can't breastfeed their child in public. You will just they have they have stuff to say about that. And I'm not against that. I'm not I don't care. Like the baby's got to eat. The baby's got to eat. Cover yourself up a little bit and just, we don't have to make this an issue, right? 
But Paul uses that analogy. Now, I, I honestly, I think it's a beautiful thing. I, 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 I just marvel at at how God has created us in such a way that, that a mom can nourish their child in that way. I think it's awesome. Paul uses it as an analogy in the same way that a mom gently cares for her child and nurses this child that we too that's how we can, that's how we've come to you to be to be gentle with you even in our rebukes even in our correction we're still gentle we're still loving our our greatest goal is not that you would just be you know slammed and broken our greatest goal is that you would know Jesus our greatest goal is that you would know we loved you even when we have to tell you that you're doing something right or wrong or whatever that you would know that everything is springing from a heart of love. So here's what we're going to do. God wants to receive all of the glory. The gospel message only works when he does receive all the glory. If we receive it, we're preaching our gospel. And we will fail people, and they will get burned, and we will get burned, and nobody will want to go to church anymore, and they will hate Jesus and not see him as the life giver that he is. And so we want people to see Jesus. And so I want to pray, you know, this this two-week block of time that we're in right now, from last Sunday to Easter Sunday, we have the most opportunity as Christians to preach the gospel. Every Sunday is important. But these next two Sundays, everybody's looking at us. People are coming back to church who haven't been to church. The, the, the last time they were probably at church was maybe Christmas. Maybe last Easter, maybe it'll be the first time ever because they're coming with family or friends. You watch CNN, National Geographic, they've all got specials about Jesus and the Bible and God, Adam and Eve and the resurrection and the crucifixion. I mean, the, the world is looking at us right now. And, and this opportunity, it comes every year, praise God for that, but, but this is a small window we have where we have a little more freedom. Because people are coming to us rather than us going to them. And so what I want us to do is to be the jars of clay that God has, has, has made us to be. That they will indeed see a wonderful message in a people that are so frail. They would see a strong God working in a people that aren't so strong. That, that they are strengthened and sustained not by their own power and might but by God himself through his Holy Spirit. And so I want to pray tonight that we would become individuals and a church that simply just proclaim Jesus. When you get into the non-essentials, or I should say the, the open-handed issues of Christianity, it's not that they're not essential or important, but when they become more of a division than Jesus is a, a uniter, then we have a problem. And so what we want to do is we want to be able to proclaim the gospel, as, as Paul said, or excuse me, um, yeah, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we just want to be those, those, those jars of clay that carry the message. We want to be vessels that share the gospel. And so I want to pray with you tonight. Let's pray. We'll close. We want to, we want to be able to, to steward what God has given us. All the other stuff, money and spouses and children and life, I mean, all that's secondary to this gospel message. Our, our stuff 
will probably not win people into the kingdom of heaven, but how we handle the gospel will, whether we share it or not, whether we, whether we go into it seriously or not, whether we'll trust God or not. So let's pray. Jesus, I don't want this to sound wrong. You know, as I think about your perfect message given to such imperfect people, you know, I, I, I just, I, I wonder why you would do so. You know, as a dad, I, I, I'm careful with what I give my children. But I am glad, Lord, that you have chosen a path because if you had only given your message to the strong people, there'd be nobody to give a message to. You must work through these jars of clay that we are so that the gospel message can be proclaimed. And I thank you that you don't exclude us, but you include us. That we get to take this, this long-lasting, durable message that has been tested time and time again. And you give it to us that we might share it with others. And Lord, I'll be honest with you, it's not always the easiest thing. It's not always easy to preach the truth. You know, often we make people angry or we confuse people or confound them or, or we step uh, – Unknowingly, we step into uh, a memory that they have, a bad memory or experience with church or, or pastoral leadership or religion in general, and, and we sort of open up old wounds. But Lord, we want to share the life that you have given us, this message that Jesus died so that we might live, that he conquered sin and death so that we might have everlasting life free of sin, that he is God and, and he, is, he is good and, and we weren't good, but now we are because of him. That we were orphans, but now we're, now we're children of God. We want to share that message, Lord. So I'm praying, Lord, that, that if there are things that have been piled upon us, if we are, we are, if we are um, convoluting the message at all, may you scrape that away. Just, just refine us, take it away, burn it up. And leave us with the message. Leave us with the gospel. Leave us with Jesus. So that he is, as your word says, high and lifted up. Like, like Moses was, uh, like the serpent was lifted up by Moses in the wilderness, that your son Jesus may be high and lifted up in this church, and in this community, and in our homes, and even in our own hearts, that we may be drawn to him. And Jesus, may your people find life. May this community be transformed, not because, not because a slick message was preached or because uh, we had the right programs or we, you know, we bought a bunch of pens with our logo on it, but because we've gone and lived and invited people into our lives. And may we care so much and love them so much that if they do walk away, it's, it's, it just breaks us. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. And we, and we do ask for forgiveness as well. Because we've all said the wrong things. We've all spoken when we shouldn't have. We've all been silent when we should have spoken. We've all misjudged or prejudged people. We've all been confounded and, and, and just overly simple or overly complicated. We've, we've brought too much or not brought enough. We've all made the wrong choices, Lord. And we just ask for your forgiveness. We repent of that and ask for your leading so that we might win souls, be used to win souls into the kingdom through you, by your message, by your power, that everybody would see that the surpassing power is you and not us. And may we just rejoice. May we be filled with such joy because you have given us this glorious opportunity. 
May we not be like the, the bad steward that just went and hid the stuff you gave us. May, may we celebrate it. May we, may we love it. May we use it to bring you more glory. And may we even get to a place where maybe, just maybe, we are trusted with even more. But Lord, today we, we just tackle today. Help us to share the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.